CBP stories are behind the scenes looks at the lives of your peers who have had an inspiring journey to become who they are today. We hope that their experiences and insight will help you better yourself in some way. Cheers. We are proud to keep CBP 100% free and accessible to all. If you enjoy conversations like this, please hit the subscribe button. Hey, Dana. It is always great to see you. And it's so funny because you and I have had quite a bit of conversations recently because you've been so instrumental in the Safe Bars Pact initiative. I know it was Julie Rhodes of Not Your Hobby Marketing who connected us a while back when we first started even just discussing the early stages of the product. I didn't know you from anyone, but it's been fantastic building a relationship with you over the past, is it six months now? I think we've been having yeah. these conversations at give or take. Yeah, about six months. And it's been, I mean, right back at you. I like it's, I'm, I mean, one of the greatest things about meeting people, um, meeting new people is that you don't know who, who you're going to be connected to in their networks and the ripple effect of that. And I definitely feel that with meeting you and packed and then getting to know like the things that are going on in craft beer professionals. So super cool. And I'm really happy to be here. No, absolutely. And Dana, you're in Canada. I'm in Virginia. You know, looking at the past pandemic, past pandemic almost feels wrong to say, but let's say the past 20 months, you know, were you connecting with people outside of your country prior to the start of, you know, everything in March 2020? That's a good question. That's a really good question because one of the greatest things to come from the pandemic has been that I've been able to connect with so many people outside of my bubble here. I'm in the traditional land and territories of the Anishinaabeg and Haudenosaunee in Collingwood, Ontario. And um, it's very much been a small bubble for me. And the pandemic, I, I joined um, a couple collectives, um, which I got to meet people from Australia. I got to meet people all through the United States. Um, and it's been absolutely amazing. So yeah, pl plus on that one. We could dive into the value of those relationships we built so hard right now. But you know, is there that one takeaway that you didn't expect to learn about yourself or from someone else that you've experienced the past 20 months? Yeah. Um, so when I first I, I remember the first virtual like zoom that I did, and I wouldn't go on camera. I just felt very awkward being on camera. And what I realized through the course of connecting with people virtually and the vulnerability of connecting with more people outside of sort of my, you know, safe networks, um, so to speak, was the, just what it means to be visible. And what I mean by that is like to, to feel seen and heard and to be able to like, um, hold space for other people to see and to hear them and what comes from that vulnerability. And there's a lot of courage in just like showing up, right? Like, I don't know about you, but like sometimes for, you know, new group meetings, um, my nervous system is all like, I'm like kind of, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm on high. And learning how to be in my body, learning how to like show up as I am, you know, don't put on the virtual business suit, just like show up how I am, regardless of where I'm at, and acknowledge that to other people. And what happens in the role modeling with other people when we continuously show up for each other like that, it's really cool. It's, it's actually made for a lot, um, actually better relationships that I have. That's a fantastic observation, because the past year and a half, we've all experienced so many levels of anxiety. But at the same time, we also have gotten more comfortable with ourselves, just like you said, by, you know, just being on camera and just, I don't want to call them forced interactions, but you know, reacting and having to interact in unique ways, we've had to get ourselves used to it. And so building those relationships through platforms like zoom is, yeah, it's been a challenge, but it's nice to build those relationships. Yeah, and think about it, like I, I, I do a lot of work with the project teams that I work on, we start with communication. And I always like let people know, like people have different communication styles and preferences. And for many of us, face to face, like communicating by I'm looking at you is, is not, not our preferred way of communicating. We're used to like side by side communicating. We're sitting next to somebody. Um, and so 
we have to adapt and then we have to figure out, we have to be a lot more honest about our boundaries and what our capacity is for communicating with one another. Like, I don't know about you, but I have a, I only have so many meetings that I can be a part of in a day. Um, I like to torture myself sometimes. You do? (laughs) I need to get to your level. No, no, you have to carve those boundaries and like, what do you need sometimes outside of these meetings? Like if you're in a big group team meeting and you know, everybody's kind of like, you know, the internet's cutting in and out. People are talking over one another and you're just not used to being, again, facing a screen and talking to people. You kind of have to like ground into your body and be like, okay, what do I need right now? Because I, I need to, I want to get some work done. And I also, you know, don't want to be burning myself out or making this so unenjoyable that it's just like, it's just tedious being here. Like I, I want to actually enjoy what I'm doing. So there's been a lot of learning around that, like how I like to communicate and having honest conversations with other teams about how do they like to communicate. So it's actually pleasurable for them. No. Yeah. I can agree with that. And let's kind of dive into a little bit about who you are. Obviously your, your name tag says social impact projects. We're going to dive into that shortly, but I want to start even earlier than that. I mean, you do a lot of good in the world right now. You help people organize their thoughts and their lives and do a lot of project management work for good causes. But before you got into that area of your life, you know, when you were just growing up, what did you want to be, Dana? Ooh, okay. Um, uh, Well, at first, I really wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be on Broadway. I love dancing. I still, I mean, I still love theater. I'm actually in a community theater production in my hometown right now. Have you maintained, oh, you've maintained that part of your life even through the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah. Will this um, be streamed live? If so, you have to drop the link in the chat so everybody else can watch and support you. It will not be streamed live. <laughs> it, it's going to be taking place in a cemetery. Um, it's, it's all like historical ghost stories. Anyways, that's an aside. So yeah, so that that has been like a passion of mine that I have carried on through my life. Um, and then, um, I had, I grew up, um, uh, unfortunately, um, with a lot of like trauma and instability, um, when I, at a young age and my dad passed away of brain cancer when I was eight. And so from, and there was a lot of other shit, but really from that it. point on, um, I sort of shifted to want to um, to want to support other people in whatever work or skills that I had. So at one point when I was a kid, it was like, oh, I you know I want to be a scientist and find a cure for cancer. Um, you know, and, and it sort of it's shifted. And I think one of the things that's exciting for me now about where I am in my life is that I'm weaving together all these elements of like things I wanted to be, things, you know, skills and and things that I'm passionate about and weaving them together. And that's, I think, what's exciting for me about social impact projects is because now I get to have that social justice lens and supporting other people in my work. And I still get to do some badass fun project management, which some people find really nerdy. And my like goal is to make it accessible for people. So it's actually fun and makes their projects more worthwhile. We're going to dive into your project management side in a minute. But first, I want to find out, you know, when did craft beer first come into your life? Ooh, okay. So actually, you see the the map behind me. So for everybody listening right now, Dana has a map of Scotland behind her. Yeah. You told me I didn't just happen to recognize that map, unfortunately. Yeah. So um, in third year university, I got to uh, go on exchange and do my entire third year in Edinburgh. Uh, in Edinburgh, Scotland. And um, before that, I was not a beer drinker. And it was living there. And then I, I worked in a pub there that I got to learn about and start tasting different beers and, and actually expanding my palate and then learning about the history of beer. And I got to travel around Europe. And so when I got back to Canada, um, with now this like newfound love of beer, I looked for where I could learn about beer and be a part of beer culture in Canada. And so when I graduated university, um, I was like, all I want to do is work in a brewery. I want and what did you graduate with your degree in? Sociology. <laughs> well, working in a brewery is a perfect place. Yeah, it's, it was, to me, it was great. And I'm like, I am fascinated by people, like totally fascinated by people, the relationships and like how the social context of like our lives 
you know, weaved, how they all weave together. So I got a job um, as a, as a tour guide, um, as a, like an events, um, basically an events person. It's like sort of a jack of all trades and hospitality position at Steam Whistle Brewing in Toronto. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this for like a summer. It's going to be great. I'm going to learn all about beer. And then, you know, I'm probably going to like fuck off. Can I swear, by the way? Sorry. You can say whatever you want. Okay, I'm going to fuck off to BC. I'm going to ski. I'm going to apply for law school. And originally I was going into law because I wanted to do like land, land rights claims and Aboriginal law. And, and, um, and I just fell in love with working in craft beer and by I, so I started there in um, May and by August I had a full-time job as I got hired as the events coordinator. Um, so did you willingly very... make the decision to not go to law school and do this? Or were you kind of justifying and say, I'm going to stay here a little bit while longer and then I'll go to law school next year. You know, how much did you commit to beer versus prolonging not going to law, law school? Well, okay. I remember someone so at the you know at in the first year of working in craft beer i still i did the prep course to write the lsat which is the course that you have to the exam you have to pass to get into law school and so i did the prep course but i'll never forget i i um there are some mentors in my life that really encouraged me to think about really seeing work as a place to actually enjoy yourself and that, you know, that you should, you should feel, and this is part of my work now is like, you should feel a sense of pleasure at work. You should enjoy going to work. And so I started really thinking about that. And I loved working craft beer. I loved the people. I loved the relationships. I was learning all of these new skills. And so that became more of the priority for me of like the, the barometer of do I stay or go? It's like, am I enjoying myself? Am I learning? And then it was actually a board member because a board member of the brewery who was a lawyer, we went out for lunch and I just, he was so generous with his time. And I just said, Hey, like, you know, what, what did you enjoy from being in law school? What did you enjoy from being a lawyer? And at the end of it, I realized that why I wanted to go into it and what I actually wanted out of my life were, were at odds. And it was more about fulfilling an external expectation um, from others around what it would mean to be a lawyer and do land rights claims versus how I could actually make an impact in the job that I was doing where I would actually be enjoying myself. I can 100% understand that. I remember when I first went into college, you know, my dad was an accountant. He had an accounting degree. He didn't necessarily practice accounting, but he's like, you should go in with an accounting background because it'll provide value in anything you do in your life. I quickly remember uh, learned that while I do love and respect people who dedicate their lives to numbers, it was not for me. I prefer the more cre creative side of things. So, yep. you know, yeah, it, it's fun to go against expectations sometimes and find what you truly enjoy that you can pursue a career in. And like, take that time to like check in and, and reflect. I'm thankful because I had people around me and I had the opportunity to really to, to take that time. Um, and yeah, and to, and it was liberating. It was a liberating experience to go, you know what? Law, great for others, not for me. Craft beer and like learning all I can about a lot of it was the hospitality and operations side and management and leadership within craft beer and craft beer culture. That's where I want to be. And, um, and yeah, I didn't look back. I've never looked back. So how long during your term at the brewery did that meeting happen where you decided you wanted to commit to the beverage industry? Uh, I it was definitely within the first two years. Yeah, my my um, my uh, I had a, my trajectory within craft beer was very fast. I went from like giving tours to being a full time event coordinator to running the entire events department in less than a year. And then in less than two years, I was running the entire um, on-site hospitality. And we um, were, we unified the retail and events departments into one core department and built this like really amazing team. And um, 
but it was like it was fast it was it was it was a fast trajectory and it was really fun um and intense um but yeah i, I yeah it was uh law law basically law was like in and out quickly so you had mentioned earlier you spent some time behind the bar in scotland had you had any other hospitality industry experience or while you were at steam whistle you were you were learning as you were going yeah no and i lied to get that that job as a bartender because you often have to have like on your cv on your resume that you have previous hospitality experience to which i'd had none um you know, I, I don't usually lie. That was like the one time, um, but it got me the job and I knew I would be good at it. And then do you remember I, what the lie was? Did you say you have like 10 years working for company no, XYZ no. or anything? Was it a good lie? I can't, I can't live up to that. No, it was, it was like a, I just said that I might've elaborated some on some catering experience. It's like my mom's friend had a party and I was like brought on to sort of like help move food around. And that's, ended up being like and you were seven years old passing out cookies or something yeah yeah yeah. you know yeah so um but but it was great because so so much of hospitality uh, is your ability to like connect with other people and build relationships with other people and um to be attentive to not just like your customers but the other staff who who you are working on a team with. And so like good communication skills, um, relationship building, um, what it means to be in a team, what it means to like ask for help and be vulnerable to admit, I don't actually know how to do this. You know, all those things, which now people refer to as like soft skills. Like I think, the, <laughs> I think those are all the really, the, the great things about being in hospitality. And then you can learn like, you can learn about like the types of beer um, and, you know, a lot of the training and education behind it. That to me, I was fascinated in. So I was a quick learner. I think it's harder sometimes to teach up to people, you know, the benefits of like stopping and like, you know, actually acknowledging people and saying, Hey, how are you doing today? Did you, you know? learn those soft skills from just personal experiences or did you learn a little bit in your college studies? Um, both. Yeah. A lot of my, I did, a, um, yeah, I, it's, it's, I've always loved being doing collaborative work or volunteering, um, so working on teams. And so I get, you get a lot of practice um, that way. And then, um, uh, in terms of like sociology, I mean, sociology allowed me to like understand and flex and adapt that like in different situations, it's not often the person that's the problem. You know, it's, you know, it's, it, there's other factors, there's nuances and complexities. And it's amazing if you can just stop and be patient um, with yourself and your other and others to try to understand um, or ask certain questions to try to get at what's actually happening. No, great observations and great insight right there. And I want to go back to something you mentioned a moment ago. You're just about that you came in, you lied about your resume just a little bit. We're not going to tell anyone else, yes. but you were in a position where you didn't necessarily have the experience, let's say, of planning events and things like that. And I'm always fascinated when people go into a role with no preconceived ideas of what you should be doing. So you were essentially following your own course to what would work at Steam Whistle. How, how did that work out? Did you do a very solid job of learning on the go just by doing what you thought was right? Or were there some hard times with lessons learned? Well, this is what I want to clarify is like, I always tell people when you, when you go into a conversation or when you go, you know, you go into something with a plan already in mind, you know, and an attitude that like, this is what we're going to do, or this is what I think we're going to, we got to do, then there is no we. And so um, two of the most important things that I've learned is what it means to actually go into a job or a conversation or a project team or, you know, with an open mind and to spend more time listening to others and like fostering really great conversation between people so that you can get a sense of where, you know, what are the contributions that are there? So in the case of Steam Whistle with events, there was already a really amazing team of senior event people and they didn't have the job of manager, 
but they had so much skills and contributions and lessons learned. My job was not to go in there and be like, hey, I'm the, you know, I'm the new person here. Here are my ideas. This is what I think's wrong. Here's how we can make it better. What do you, and you know, and then, you know, what a lot of people do is then they go, now, what do you think of that plan? I'd love to hear your feedback. And it's like, well, there's no we because I've already come in basically. So the engagement's going to be low. So I went in and my number one priority was like gaining the trust of the existing team, admitting to them that like, yeah, I am new. I haven't done this before. I don't have as much experience on the floor as you do. And I'm not here as a manager to like be exceptional serving our patrons. I'm here to support you so that you can be exceptional serving the patrons and that you're supported by me and the organization. So what do you need? And so I started conversations. I started like that. I started gaining people's trust. Um, and I learned very quickly that there were so many resources and contributions from people on that team that if I took time and listened, that we could co-create solutions and ideas together. And that's what we did. And really that's what I did in terms of building up that entire department. And that's what I continue to do in terms of now with project management, education and facilitation. That's what I do. I pay that. I, I'm basically just taking what I've learned through my lessons learned and applying them to other teams um, so that we're kind of disrupting this idea of like collaborative work or this disrupting this idea of like, I'm the expert, listen to me. No, I absolutely love that. I mean, I think you just kind of touched on something that I was going to bring up momentarily, but we'll knock it out right now. You recently gave a talk at a virtual conference on collaboration and consultation, disrupting the script. Is yeah. that about what you just kind of hinted at, or can you go a little bit more detail? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. So um, I this is the foundation of my work is like really disrupting this script. I mean, of, of what we have come to think of as like um, traditional forms of collaboration, consultation, engagement, connection. We hear a lot of these words in various sectors, not just in craft beer. It's like, it's all about collaboration. Let's collaborate. And, and often they're just words. There's not the behaviors that actually uphold their meaning. And it's really alienating for people. And I experienced this firsthand actually at Steam Whistle and in my job there. Um, it's alienating when you go into conversations, believing you are there to collaborate, to connect. And you realize very quickly that it's a formality. That, and that you're no longer at Steam Whistle, correct? No, no, no. Yeah, no. I left in uh, 2016 um, after uh, a, a, a very messy period of, of, of learning and adjusting after I went on my maternity leave after the birth of my first son. But um, yeah, I, 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 my, my job role ended up getting restructured. Um, my actually the entire department got restructured um, and my job. And um, I was sent on, and this is all happening while I'm on leave. And I was sent my my new job description, but it was my old job description, and all of the um, all of the previous things had been redacted, like they were all just crossed out in red. And then I was asked, you know, I I I wrote back an email, and I had several phone calls, basically saying, hey, like, can can we can we create something different? Like I I I don't agree with these changes. Um, and so eventually I was asked by one of the co-founders to come into the boardroom to discuss the changes and just like connect, like, like, let's like, let's chat, let's like discuss it, Dana, like, let's figure this out together. And then when I went into the boardroom, I actually walked into just basically being bullied and harassed. Um, and I realized that that opportunity to connect was actually just an opportunity for them to demonstrate their power over me, that they had the plan and the person with the plan has the power. And it was my job to realize that any power that I thought I had, I did not have. I'm really sorry that happened, but I, I bet it opened your eyes to your mission in life. I mean, you'd always been a, a team player, one who looked after others. Did that make you want to dive into more what you're doing now on social impact projects? Yeah, so I mean, 
it's uh I, I like telling the like nuanced long form story and if anybody wants to hear it it's on um you can listen to it on soundcloud it's boundary bitch story time there's a link in my on my website if you I'll, I'll drop the link drop in the, the link in. Yeah. but i like telling the like nuanced messy journey because um that was 2016 i was a wreck afterwards even when i left and kind of had moments where i reclaimed my power i had a lot of healing to do there was a lot of um uh trauma caused from that um i left the craft beer industry i had no interest in working in it again and it took me i mean what is it 2021 it took me really until um 2020 to to get to a place where um, all the elements of my healing journey and that's ongoing, by the way, um, is kind of came together. And that's where I realized, oh my gosh, what happened and everything that's come from that, that's like, those are the lessons learned that are actually inspiring the work that I do now. And I'm paying it forward to other people in the work that we do together so that what happened to me doesn't happen to others. And that's the reason why I got involved with PACT and why I'm so you know, excited about the PACT initiative, because I do believe that we there are ways that we can transform beverage culture from within. I see myself as part of that. And I also think that it's not the job of people who have experienced harm to correct all of the harm that's been caused and so it needs to be there needs to be um shared accountability and breweries like steam whistle need to step up and it simply admit you know what we've got some major repair work to do not only did we fuck up we're going to admit that we fucked up we're not just going to put policies into place and think that that acts as an apology accountability is necessary yeah without acknowledging you know, the wrongs that we've done, like acknowledge the wrongs and then start the repair process, involve people, but ask for their consent to see whether or not they're even resourced. Like I'm resourced in my life to actually be a part of things like these types of conversations and talk openly about it. Not everybody is. And then, and then figure out ways of doing better. So yeah. No, you know, you're an inspiring person. I've enjoyed all of our interactions and you will make a difference in so many people's lives with that, you know, vision that you have. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and my hope is that it's um like it's ongoing momentum. You know, I'm only one person um and I, that's why I love group work, group projects and teamwork and and um I think you and I talked about this. It's like, you know, projects themselves are temporal in nature. They have a start and an end but it's the process, it's the relationships that are generated, it's the learning um, that you have for yourself and about others. That's what continues on after the project ends. And that's the momentum that generates, you know, more, you know, social change in the different projects that you do and how we actually show up and actually be better in the work that we do. And I, I think that that's really possible within the craft beer industry. And I'm just actually really excited that I'm slowly making my way back into this industry and am able to be part of those changes. And so with regards to the craft beer industry, you know, how and why are you still passionate about craft beer? Um, As you take a sip of a delicious looking craft oh, beer. Yeah. This is Great Lakes, the devil's pale ale. Um, I, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about other people um, through working in craft beer and just the moments of gathering with people. Like, yes, I love learning about the beer, the beer styles, the ingredients. I love all that. My husband's a brewer. I mean, that stuff's really cool. But what I really, really love about it is I love the ability to just like sit with people share a moment in time where we share a beer we um whether it's like the this moment at the end of the day like we're having right now or um you know wherever it is it's just a chance for people to connect and that's what i love about it that's what drew me to um wanting to work in craft beer and i think that's what's really important for me about 
making sure that we're create we're actively and ongoing creating safer spaces for people to gather together because if we're creating spaces where only some people you know dominant culture some people with certain identities can sit and feel safe and gather and drink together and learn about one another and learn about each like learn about ourselves in conversation it's not fair it's not allowing everybody to thrive and um I think those opportunities for people to connect, um, it, yeah, it, it needs to be equitable. There needs to be a sense of fairness and people need, need to feel safe. And I think that it's, there are ways that we can do that. Um, and, you know, the, the, pact is, the pact is one of them and ongoing safe bars training and just ongoing education and, um, and just honestly admitting we don't know everything. I don't know everything. You know, I fucked up. I have caused harm. I want to do better. Who do I need to talk to? Who needs to be part of this conversation so that we can actually do collaborative work where we're respecting people, where we're contributing so we can learn and actually have spaces where more people can gather together and really enjoy great beer and, and moments with one another. And craft beer can absolutely be a vessel for positive change. And I, I think you are proving that. I'm so glad you're still in the industry. Now, Me too. I want to go back to a couple things really quickly. So first off, this is something you failed to mention. And I discovered this while simply Googling you. While you were pregnant, seven months pregnant, as the article said, you did a 200-kilometer bike ride. Yeah. Seven months pregnant, 200-kilometer bike ride. So I, That's so I kind of impressive, Dana. Yeah. So I mentioned to you earlier that I had a, um, a bit of a, well, no, I had a traumatic childhood and I am one part of that was losing my dad to brain cancer. Um, later in life, I lost my grandmother to cancer. Um, not that long ago, I um, lost my cousin on my dad's same side. She was um, six years old when she died oh of brain gosh, cancer so as well. And um, so around the time I was working at Steam Whistle and Steam Whistle became the beer sponsor for the Ride to Conquer Cancer. So the Princess Margaret Cancer Center is one of like the top five cancer research centers in the entire world. They do amazing work and they have this Ride to Conquer Cancer, which is this incredible event where thousands of people come together and they ride their bikes from either Toronto to Niagara or Niagara to Toronto. And it's about 220 kilometers over the, over two days. And so the first year I served beer at the event when I was working at steam whistle, the second year of the ride, I joined steam whistle. Um, we put together a team and I was on the team and then I became the captain of the team. And when I had my son that year, was my five-year anniversary of doing the ride. And it also was, um, uh, it had been, I believe, 20 years since my dad had passed away of, um, of brain cancer. And my cousin, Sonia, um, was, uh, um, she wasn't, no, she hadn't been diagnosed yet. So anyways, I was like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to be seven months pregnant, but if I train for this and I train with somebody who like, you know, they know I'm pregnant, they're respecting that, um, then this could be really amazing. And I, it was, I rode with my stepdad and my husband, Mike, by my side the whole way. I cannot tell you how many times I had to get off my bike to pee in a field or a bush. I love it. I had mosquito bites like all over my ass because of like having to pull off and go into the woods to pee so many times. It took a long time and it was, um, it was really intense, but I did train for it and it was amazing. And that year, um, I forget how much our team raised. I think that year, I think it was like $25,000. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. $5,000. Yeah. In total. So I ended I, I, when I left Steam Whistle, I started a team um, for my family called Team Sonia in honor of my cousin who passed away of um, brain cancer uh, and for our family and something that we could do to heal together. And in total, our collective efforts have raised like close to $200,000 for brain cancer research. Um, 
yeah, it's something I'm like really proud of. And actually my method for doing project management is a wheel and it's inspired by Team Sonia and the Ride to Conquer Cancer. And this idea of the sort of the wheel that continues on and how we can basically get from one place to another in terms of the project starting and ending, but do it in a way where we're actually nourishing ourselves, our own healing, our own journey, our own pleasure, and actually it being like worthwhile and something that's meaningful, not just for us doing the work, but for the people benefiting from the work. So I'm going to ask you two questions directly in relation to what you just said. You can answer them in any order that you would like. So the first question is, and once again, answer them in any order you like, how do you make project management fun? And the second is kind of a follow-up to something you said as well. You talk a lot about how family inspires you. What, what else inspires you to keep, you know, going on? So either project management or inspiration. Okay. Well, it could be both. Um, so um, I'm a little bit of a disruptor and I think in the, I think in general in life, but also but definitely in project management um, because uh, a lot of people see project management as like, you know, let's organize the work. Let's have like epic worksheets. You know, it's all about systems. And I'm like, yes, and um, it's actually all about the people and their relationship to one another and how those people work within the systems to generate work. And so um, how do I make it fun? I just, I really try to make sure that like, so I do my, most of my work is facilitation. So facilitating like groups getting together, um, just making sure like I'm very, uh, intentional intentional about creating spaces where people can show up as they are and that you know whether you like swearing whether or not you um you know you want to show up in your pajamas whatever the hell you need like you come with a focus and we stay organized in our focus but we don't do that you know and at the expense of like ourselves and what we need and what we need to feel nourished. And so, yeah, I just like, I guess bringing in humor, um, bringing in a lot of ongoing learning, making sure that people know that like you can customize different things. So like, I don't do Gantt charts because nobody reads them. So what does this group need? To, like what documentation will people actually read and want to reference? that kind of stuff. I mean, lots of it is like simple, I think, but then I realized from working with other people, maybe it's not so simple, but no, it's just, it's just creating spaces for people to just be who they are and contribute and actually feel listened to. I find like if people feel like they, they are really listened to and their contributions are valued, they themselves make it fun. And um, so that's number one. And I can speak firsthand, you have made project management fun you know just our interactions through the safe bars pact initiative the way you've taken us through the process all along has been the best part of the journey for me just learning through others learning about myself and getting to where we want to present something to the world that has been so enjoyable so i love the approach you've taken on that and that's inspirational it truly is that's um yeah that that is um that's awesome. That means a lot to me. Thank you. It's um, there. And the, the, the inspirational part is like the people. Um, I meet a lot of like fucking badass people doing this work and I love it. Um, last week I spoke at an international conference. I offer free collaboration calls where we can just show up and like just talk and co-create, but there's a couple questions that people can fill in. Cause I do like a little bit of parameters in the scope. What's the vision that we're coming in on, but this, um, this one woman from Uganda reached out to me and we had this amazing collaboration call and learning about the work that she's doing and the project she's doing and being able for us to just like talk and the work that she's doing was inspiring. And I believe that the, the you know, what I shared with her was inspiring. And so just the ability to co-create with people and learn from other people that's the inspiring part. Like, that's why I do what I do. Cause I, like I told you, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated how people show up in this world and keep showing up. And, um, 
yeah, it makes it, it makes like learning for me and just living my life really amazing. And it's great to see how people are using their life to make sure that they're creating spaces and projects where other people thrive as well. No, I love it. And you're doing a lot of good, but you also have plans to make some beer in your future. Oh yeah. So what, what do you and your husband have that you're working towards? That'll be here before you know it. Oh yeah. So I, I was like, um, Yes, I am a double entrepreneur. I have my own business. And then my husband and I are co-owners of Enswell Beer. Double entrepreneur is a good term. I, I like Thank that. Because it doesn't sound like you're struggling to run two businesses. You are a double entrepreneur. There's some power to that. Yeah. All right. Nice. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm a double entrepreneur. And um, <laughs> so we. this has been six years in the making. If we talk about nourishing, we've taken our time. I can't tell you how many people have like said to me, when's the brewery opening up? When are you guys going to have the brewery? What's going on with the brewery? How come you don't have a brewery yet? And it's like, yo, yo, yo. We want to do this in our own way at our own time. We have watched a lot of people um, get a lot of capital investment so they can grow really quickly. And then what happens? A board forms. The board wants to see their ski slope go up and up and up. And the people who are super passionate and who are there to start it Oh, I'll, they're not meeting that that growth projection, so then they get kicked out by the board. I can't tell you how many like co-founders I've seen that have been kicked out by their own boards. Not happening. Mike and I want something that's like independent, something that's for our family. We're projecting what's our ceiling, where do we want to get to, where it's sustainable for us, so we can pivot and enjoy our life. How long is it going to take to get there? So we've been really diligent. So we've been taking our time and we've been having fun in the process. And we had to go through a lot of hoops with zoning because the model that we want, which is small batch, small batch on premise, um, a place for people to gather. So a tap room, but not a restaurant in our town that didn't exist with the type of business and zoning. So we've done a lot of deputations and advocacy work. And now we have finally found a space we're in the process of negotiating the lease and um if all goes to plan we hope to be open yeah by sort of late summer of 2022 so yeah if people want to follow that it's um ends well beer and uh we're on instagram although we don't post that because we have we're deciding whether what our relationship to instagram is and how we actually want to market ourselves in a way that's actually fun for us because I don't know about you, but like, I want to actually have fun if I'm marketing and talking about my shit. Absolutely. No, I love how you've taken your love for project management and almost used it to help plan this brewery. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I most definitely, although, um, I have, we've had a lot of talks. I do a lot of this with project teams as well. So I have to walk, you know, walk my own talk boundaries. And Mike and I had to have a lot of boundary conversations because I do not want to be the project manager. I want, I want a different relationship to this business. And I want us um, figuring out how I can like facilitate and guide the process, but not manage it. And so that has been, I mean, that's been a big part of our work together. Cause we're also, you know, we're also husband and wife. And at the end of the day, like that's, you know, yeah, I want to be in business together, but I actually um, want to enjoy sleeping next to you as well. Well, you set me <laughs> up for this question. You are a double entrepreneur. Yeah. You're, you're married to your partner. You have two kids. So how do you find time to disconnect and take time for yourself and your family? Um, so um, I'm really diligent. Uh, I, because of everything I have going on, and the fact that I'm also like a very creative thinker and I'm like constantly thinking about just like ideas and things like I'm like always thinking about work. Are you thinking of ideas when you're laying in bed next to your husband at night and you grab your phone, you write it down and no, I don't, I, so, so boundaries again, I don't have my phone beside my bed. I need bed. to work on that one. Yeah. I don't have my phone beside my bed. I only, so I only allot um, 20 to 30 hours max of working time a week. Don't look do at me like I did something wrong. I'm doing the long pause. I'm doing the long pause because you know, it's funny when I tell that, especially when I tell that to men, they go, 
how the fuck do you do that? That's not, that's, you, how the fuck do you do that? And the thing is, is like, it's, it's, it's hard because you have to spend time actually thinking again about like the vision of how you want to spend your life and your working time. And then you got to figure out what are your boundaries? What, what's going to work in the parameters? I'm also really fortunate that my husband and I are both like, we're really great communicators and we're really good co-parents. So we share child labor, like child labor. <laughs> is that your secret share, you put your kids to work yeah are your kids doing like 50 hour work weeks while you only do 20. no they're chilling playing lego right now no we we um we're our caregiving is very shared and we we ebb and flow so there might be i say like on average 20 to 30 hours because i might have one week where i've got a lot on and then i have to like okay figure out, all right, so in the next week, how am I going to ebb and flow from that? But on average, I, I keep to that. And that allows me to actually um, prioritize what's important to me, make sure I'm resting. Because when I'm resting not to be more productive, when I'm resting because I fucking need to rest, then it, you know, I'm not attempting to be more productive, but that's end up, that that's what happens. Because I'm having more fun doing my work. I'm actually focused. Like yesterday, I didn't do a lot of work because I was not, you know, again, I was not in that, that headspace. And so I was able, because of the way I've set up my time, I was able to sort of not feel guilty and resource myself in other ways. That is such great insight and so inspirational. I need to take a page out of your book and work on that myself. Well, you know, I'm so... <laughs> I'm running, I'm co-facilitating um, a three-part like interactive experiential learning course called Boundary Bitch. It's with um, Katrina Marie from My Orgasmic Life, who, who I did that story time with. She's exceptional at boundaries. I've learned a lot from her. And so we're co-facilitating, it's called Boundary Bitch Entrepreneur Edition. And we're talking a lot about this process of, of boundaries and we're learning. It's all about experiential learning, learning together. Uh, but, you know, so that that's coming up and I think we're going to start expanding that more. And I would love to extend that to the craft craft beer professionals, like boundary bitching in craft beer. How do you do that? I think we all need to get better at our boundaries. And I think the craft beer industry has room. We can all improve personally to kind of put more time towards our own mental well-being and our, our own health. Well, what happens is it's hard because I don't know about you, but like when I was working in a craft brewery, I was having, I was having fun. I wanted to be there. So it was like, oh yeah, I'm going to work 80 hours a week because like, I love being there. I love the work I'm doing. But then what you realize is then your identity becomes completely wrapped into that culture and that work and that like, relentless productivity and in my case when I went on maternity leave it was a shock not just to the organization but to me personally because my identity erupted because that wasn't sustainable I couldn't do that anymore and so creating these these spaces for boundaries even when you really love what you do is actually better for you in the long term and not just for you as a person, but actually for your teams, your your colleagues and the organization as a whole. I think we can all learn from that. Those are great words of wisdom, Dana. And I know I've learned a lot from you the past six months. Now, as we wind down, is there anything else you'd like to share with everyone? Anything exciting in your life? Anything you're looking forward to? Something you're simply proud of? Yeah, well, I'm. Um, we talked about it a little bit. I'm really proud of the PACT initiative. And um, I really, um, I see the PACT initiative as um, one piece, and you and I have talked about this a lot, but one piece of the ongoing um, conversations and work that needs to get done in creating safer, more respectful spaces um, for people in craft beer, specifically centering the experience of those who the industry has marginalized, whether it's been intentional or not. So um, we're talking, you know, you know, women, non-binary, trans, the entire LGBTQ um, plus like community. Um, we're talking people with uh, different abilities. Um, we're talking about the black and indigenous communities and people of color, like, you know, without 
it's not a monolith, but what we're talking about is creating these great spaces. And I think that conversations like what we're having about boundaries, about um, joy, um, about, um, you know, our, how do we actually listen and allow the contributions for people to actually flow into the projects that we're doing? This is, this is all part of it. So thanks for this opportunity. And I hope people check out the PACT initiative um, and learn more about it. And then also maybe as a catalyst, start having more conversations with people in their workspace about what exists um, and then admitting what doesn't exist, the harm that's actually been caused, being honest and vulnerable and courageous in that. And um, then going, okay, like we have repair work to do. So what is that repair work? Um, yeah, that's, that's well, what I want to see. More thank of. you for all that. Once again, you have been so inspiring to me. And if anyone's looking to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? Okay. So, um, my website is www.danakaluzny.com. Um, that is the best way. And I have, um, free collaboration calls. So 30 minute collaboration calls, um, there, if people actually want to get into conversation, I, I love being in conversation with people. Take Dana up on this, please. Yeah. And, um, and then if, uh, if people just want to engage, like in terms of some, you know, getting to know me a little bit more, um, I have links to my Instagram and my LinkedIn on the website. So it's at Dana Kluzny for both LinkedIn and Instagram. And then I'm doing a lot of um, different talks um, and speaking engagements. So people can check them out. A lot of them are for free, like today. Um, and then our panel discussion, which is really exciting at the fall virtual conference. I'd love people to check that out. That's going to be on October 19th. October 19th, 5 p.m. Eastern time. All of the team from the PACT initiative, the Safe Bars PACT initiative, we're going to be talking about transforming beverage culture begins with us and how we can do it from within. It's going to be a really important talk. I think we're going to dive a lot into the process of how we've got to where we are and the long-term you know, impact we hope to make to make the craft beer industry a more welcoming place. Yeah, and maybe a little bit, hopefully, about what it means to actually be in a group project or like do collaborative work. And some of the things like, I hope we can talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned about doing collaborative work where, where we actually, you know, where we show up with the behaviors that are required, like that, that are necessary for all of us to actually thrive and it not just being about what do we want to do? What are the activities? What are the tasks? So, yeah. We will dive into all that. I can't wait to have another conversation with you. Thanks for hanging out with me today, Dana. This has been a fantastic time. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I do hope we get to share a beer at some point in the future. And at some point, I will, without a doubt, come visit your tap room. And I can't wait to experience that. Yes. Awesome. So you're going to make me come to Canada, and I look forward to it. Okay, great. See you soon. Okay, bye. Bye.